0: entitled this message, Praying Through My Fear. And it's a really powerful psalm. Um, It's a psalm that we really need to pay close attention to and maybe closer attention than what we have paid in times past. But before we get started tonight, uh, Pastor Mark's going to put up all the various ways that you can give here at Woodland. I got a call uh, last week asking me if um, we were still giving towards the ladies shelter and I said absolutely and I hope that you'll join in giving towards that. Just some good news, a company stepped up when they heard about the need of this shelter for battered women. The, the, the van is going to cost about $70,000 but uh, this company gave $30,000 towards that. Isn't that incredible and I'm just so thankful <laughs> That there are people that are willing to give and then I was talking with someone in our congregation and I didn't know I have her permission to share this, not her name, but she was uh, one of these battered ladies and so she's helping out in this as well. So be sure if you want to give just, you know, designate that in the memo portion of your giving if you're giving online tonight and of course you remember your tithes and your offerings as well. I want to encourage you, I don't normally do this because sometimes I, I feel like it may sound self-serving, but I want to encourage you to, to go, if you would, to our website, woodland.church, and listen to the interview from Sunday morning. We've had so much positive reaction response. Bob Carey and you did a great job with the interview. Even though you're interviewing my wife and I, it sounds like I'm boasting, I'm not, but there's just been so much interest. I'm boasting on Bob. He did a great job, he and his wife on the interview. And, um, but you might want to just watch that, tell you a lot about the vision, get to know Becky and I better. And one of the things that I just loved is our vision still is still the same. God blessed us with the gift of vision here at Woodland church. And then I preached a message on Sunday morning that there's also been a quite a bit of response in the second service. I didn't preach in the first service and uh, you might want to go and watch that message as well. So. Be sure you go to our website, woodland.church, and follow along. The outlines are in your, on your app or on the website, either one, and you can take care of that. Well, let's agree together in prayer and get started this evening. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you so much, Jesus, for how you've blessed us with the word and how the word of God is food and bread and strength for us. It's light for our pathway. God, it's our shield and it's our defender as well. And so I pray tonight, in Jesus' name, as we study the word of the Lord together, that God, you would speak clearly to us, for it's in Jesus' name I ask. Amen. Let me read this to you, and follow along with me in the outline, if you would. Keep me safe, O God, for I have come to you for refuge. I said to the Lord, you are my master. Every good thing I have comes from you. The godly people in the land are my true heroes. I take pleasure in them. And troubles multiply for those who chase after other gods. I will not take part in their sacrifices of blood or even speak the name of their gods. Lord, you alone are my inheritance, my cup of blessing. You guard all that is mine. The land that you have given me is a pleasant land. What a wonderful inheritance. I will bless the Lord who guides me. Even at night, my heart instructs me. I know the Lord is always with me and I will not be shaken for he is right beside me. No wonder my heart is glad and I rejoice. My body rests in safety, for you will not leave my soul among the dead or allow your Holy One to rot in the grave. You will show me the way of life, grant to me the joy of your presence and the pleasures of living with you forever. Boy, this psalm is quoted so often in the scriptures. And when you read the psalm, some people will read this psalm and say, well, this is a messianic psalm. This is a psalm about Christ because obviously only Christ could fulfill the last verse there. But it's more than a psalm about Christ because it's a psalm that David wrote and the things that he's writing were true of him with the exception of his body writing in the grave and they're true of us as well. And so we need to ask ourselves why this psalm is quoted so often and what it has to say to us. And one of the reasons that I've turned to this psalm tonight is we are rapidly approaching. I was just asking a a lady in our service tonight here, had she put up her Christmas tree? Because I'd heard she'd already put it up and she, she acknowledged that she'd already put it up. And my wife told me last night, she said, you know, it seems like people are getting more excited about Christmas this year. Earlier today, I was talking to a business person in town and they said to me, he said, you know, we're already decorating for Christmas and normally I will not decorate until after Thanksgiving. I go against the flow of everybody else. And I said, why are you doing it? And why are you decorating so early this year? And he says, because everybody needs Christmas after this pandemic. And as I got to thinking of it, there's a song I think like that. We need a little Christmas right this very moment. Well, I need more than a little Christmas. I need all that Jesus has to offer at Christmas. But this is a great psalm to be meditating upon as we get ready for Advent, as we get ready for Christmas. The psalm was quoted by Peter in Acts chapter 2, verse 25 through 28. It was quoted by the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 13, 35 through 37. And perhaps even by Jesus in Luke 24, 13 through 27, declaring the, prof- the prophetic proclamation of Christ's resurrection. Now, that's a long sentence, but I put all of that in there tonight and because I wanted you to get how important this is. Now, you know the story, I'm sure, of in Luke, how the, <clears throat> the two disciples are walking on their way back to Emmaus. Matter of fact, there are some ministries called Emmaus Road. There are some discipleship groups that have been called the Emmaus Discipleship Groups. Emmaus was the story of one disciple named Cleopas, and most of us who study our Bibles believe that it was his wife, Mary, because you also see in the book of John, Mary, the wife of Cleopas, was at the foot of the cross. And Jesus meets these two disciples as they're on their way back to Cleopas. So I imagine it would be like Becky and I having been at the cross. And we're just so disappointed because we don't understand our Bibles that that Christ was to suffer and to die for our sins and be resurrected on the third day. We haven't gotten it. Jesus appears walking with these two disciples, which we believe are Cleopas and Mary. We know that one of them is Cleopas, so we think the other one is his wife Mary. I really want you to get that tonight because it's such a beautiful picture to me of husbands and wives walking together in discipleship. You know, it's not just Becky doing her thing with Jesus and me doing my thing with Jesus, but the two of us, like Cleopas and Mary, we're serving God together. We're serving to God together as a body of Christ. But Jesus goes through the scriptures, they don't even recognize him, and shows how that the Messiah was to suffer and to die. And then when they get to their house, Jesus breaks bread and they recognize, hey, this was Christ after all. So you see this psalm quoted, you see this verse that is quoted often in the psalm you will not leave my soul among the dead or allow your holy one to rot in the grave now if you would look at the first part of that verse the first part of that verse doesn't startle me at all for you will not leave my soul among the dead as a christian i know i know that i know that i know even the old testament saints knew that when they died they would go to be with the lord It's the second part of this that is so startling because only Jesus could have fulfilled it. David's body died and he rotted in the grave. I hate to use that word rot, but that's the word that the Bible is using here. One day, if Jesus doesn't return first and I don't go up in the rapture and you don't go up in the rapture, my body will be buried and it will decay in the grave and and rot away. As a matter of fact, I think a couple of weeks ago, I... I made the comment in a Sunday morning service, I was getting dressed, and I looked at this body of mine, you know, and I thought, this body is getting older, it's getting saggy, it's just decaying, and I just said it out loud, it's rotting away, you know? Only Jesus was the only one that his body didn't rot in the grave, and so you've got this prophetic looking forward to, it's why we call it a messianic psalm, that's important because we're coming to Advent. We're coming to where we're going to observe Christmas time. But we need to go through everything that Advent meant before we actually celebrate the birth of our Savior. Now, I remember in one of my classes when I was studying for the ministry years ago, our professor saying that oftentimes the psalmist did not know exactly what they're writing about. I don't know if David knew that he was writing about the Messiah But my thoughts after having spent years with this psalm, because it's quoted so often in the New Testament, is that David was foreseeing the resurrection. And the resurrection is taught in the Old Testament, contrary to what some people say. You can find plenty of teaching about the resurrection in the Old Testament, but only Jesus would have fulfilled this. Now, let's look at another verse here that I've got. Dear brothers, Think about this. You can be sure the patriarch David wasn't referring to himself, for he died and was buried, and his tomb is still here among us. But he was a prophet, and he knew that God promised with an oath that one of his own descendants would sit on the throne. David was looking forward into the future and speaking of the Messiah's resurrection. He was saying that God would not leave him among the dead or allow his body to rot in the grave. It's the first recorded instance of somebody preaching this passage and pointing towards the Messiah with it. Then you'll also see in Acts chapter 13, where I give you the reference there. But look at Job 19, because sometimes people will say, where does the Bible teach about the resurrection in the Old Testament? Well, here's a great one. But as for me, I know that my Redeemer lives, and he will stand upon the earth at last. Again, nothing startling right there. But look at the rest of the verse. And after my body has decayed, yet in my body I will see God. I will see him for myself. Yes, I will see him with my own eyes. I am overwhelmed at the thought Job was anticipating the resurrection of the righteous there. So when I look at Psalm 16, I see Psalm 16 as a confession of faith in God. It's a prayer of faith to God. So you can look at it in both ways. It's a confession of faith in God, but it's a prayer of faith to God as David begins to pray through his fears. You say, well, pastor, how do you know that he's praying about a fear? Well, look at verse 1. Keep me safe, O God, for I have come to you for refuge. In other words, there's there's this cry, there's this confession of faith, there's this prayer of faith, God, keep me safe. Have you ever prayed, God, keep me safe? I think most of it in this room have. I was just sharing with somebody. I drove to Sault Saint Marie for a funeral on Monday morning. I left my house at 4:30, went to the funeral, and then turned around and was coming home. I'd only slept about four hours the night before, not because I was up late. I just I got up at 2:30 that morning and was working, and I just generally sleep about four or five hours a night. So I. Finally left the house at 430, but on the way back, I got to Gaylord, Michigan. If, <clears throat> if you're not familiar with Michigan, the Upper Peninsula is up here, and I'm about right here in the mitten, you know. I fell asleep and drove slap off the interstate. Well, I woke up, and obviously, and I thought, Lord, you kept me safe. Protect me. So I pulled off at Gaylord. And got a, there's a good Starbucks there in Gaylord, and I pulled off there and got a good cup of coffee and walked and stretched and made the rest of the ride home with no problem, God keeps us safe, but there are times when we just feel, Lord, keep me safe. Do you remember Carrie Underwood's song, Jesus Take the... Yeah, Jesus Takes away. It's a prayer about keep me safe. We're familiar with that. Well, number one, let's look at some things here that comes out of this psalm. Number one, David's praying about his relationship to God. We're talking about my relationship to God. Now, there's something beautiful in these two, first two verses I want you to see. Keep me safe, O God. The word, oh God, there is the word El. It's the word for strong and mighty one. For I have come to you for refuge. I have said to the Lord, that's the personal name of God that God revealed to Moses, that Moses shared with the, uh, the people of Israel, the, the one that would lead them, the one that would have relationship with them. So he's praying to God, El. God, the almighty, the strong and mighty one, but he's also using this personal name that God gave to Moses that we in the church confess. And then he prays, you are my master, which is the word Adonai, which means he's master and Lord. So it's almost like when you and I confess that Jesus is our Lord, our savior, and our master. We've said those kinds of things in our prayers. We've said those kinds of things in our worship songs. That's exactly what David was doing right here. Nothing Nothing exists that compares to my relationship with God. Nothing exists, if you want to put that into your outline tonight, that compares with your relationship to God. What have I, even in my marriage or with my children and grandchildren, what is it that I have that can compare with my relationship with the Lord? I often taught our boys and our daughter when they were growing up, listen, I love you. I love your mom, but I love Jesus more than I love any of you. And I wanted them to understand that the more I love Jesus, the better I can love them. The more I love Jesus, the better I can love people. It's not about God somehow or another having this ego trip, but we were made to have fellowship with God. And as we love him, we become better lovers. Look at uh, James chapter 1 and verse 17. Whatever is good and perfect is a gift coming down to us from God our Father. Now notice that's relationship that's relationship. God giving a gift to us who created all the lights in heaven. He never changes or casts a shadow. So let me ask you this question. What good is all the gifts that God has given you if you don't have a personal relationship with Christ? What good is all the gifts that God has given you if you don't get up and worship him each day and serve him each day? You know, one of my favorite singers in times past and Back in the 70s, 80s, had a really powerful song about, you know, having fellowship with the Lord daily. And that fellowship in his presence and worship him daily was one of the ways he recognized that he still had his priorities in order. My marriage, my health, my children, my grandchildren, any material thing that uh, I claim is my own, it all belongs to God. None of it compares to my relationship with the Lord. Jesus would say these words, What do you benefit if you gain the whole world, but you lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? And I'm going to tell you the greatest tragedy I see in life is people pursuing wealth and fame and success without God. Because it becomes a yoke, it becomes a burden, it weighs you down. I had breakfast with a man not too long ago, and he said, You know, I want to retire. I said, well, why don't you? He said, I can't. I have golden handcuffs that have become golden weights. And I said, what do you mean? And he says, my company has made it so that I can't retire without just giving up a fortune. That's a nice problem to have, don't you think? (laughs) You know, without just giving up a fortune. And he said, that's how they keep me tied to them. And so I I asked him about his relationship with Christ and what did he feel like God wanted him to do in this fourth quarter of his life he says well I'm not really sure so we're praying about that I prayed with a man in our church after the second service on Sunday morning who's come to that fourth quarter in his life and and now he's getting ready to retire from his second career and what he's going to do with his life You see you and I have a proper perspective when we were in relationship with Jesus <clears throat> we realize. We're stewards of everything that God has given us. For one day we're going to die and then we're going to stand before the Lord and we will give an accounting of how we've used every gift, the gift of salvation, the gift of life, the spiritual gifts that God gave you, and any financial blessings that he's blessed you with. Number two, my relationship with God then comes to bear on my relationships with others. Remember what I said just a moment. The more I love the Lord, the better able I am to love other people. Look at this next verse. David says in Psalm 16, Psalm we're studying. The godly people in the land are my true heroes. I take pleasure in them. Now what's he saying? This is important before we read the rest of it. The godly people in the land are my true heroes. I take pleasure in them. You are godly people tonight. You are My brothers and sisters, those of you watching online tonight, he says, I take pleasure in them. Listen, when you love God and you serve God, you find and you see the good in life and you see the good in other people. When you love God and you serve God and you're with godly people, you begin to see the life of Christ manifested in them. I see God in you. I see God's hand upon you. I see what God is doing in your life. Some of you I've known for a while, and I've really seen God do a real work in your life. I've seen maturity and change. I've seen some of you, as you've grown from fear to faith in various areas of your life, I've witnessed that. That's one of the joys of having pastored the same congregation for so long. But now look at this next as we finish The godly people in the land are my true heroes. I take take pleasure in them. Troubles multiply for those who chase after other gods. What's he saying there? People who commit apostasy, people who turn their back on God, troubles multiply. He's not talking about the pagans. He's talking about people who turn their back on the Lord, people who started out in faith. And he says troubles multiply. Can you think of another place that you heard this in the Bible? Remember what God said to Eve in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 16? He said, Your troubles will multiply after she sinned and she and Adam sinned. He spoke to her and said, Your troubles will multiply. Listen, no good ever comes out of backsliding. No good ever comes in your life by deciding to backslide against the Lord. He said, I will not take part in their sacrifices or blood or even speak the names of their gods. What's he saying? They quit serving Jehovah. They quit serving God and other to go chasing after other gods. And as you read the prophets, you see how true this really was. The same thing is happening in our generation. Say, does God feel threatened by that? No. In Psalms chapter 2 and verse 4, the one who rules in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. What's he saying? It doesn't matter who it is what dictator it is, what person who says they're going to stamp out Christianity. It's always been interesting to me. Let me just, let me throw this in. I didn't plan on saying this, but just every once in a while I have a thought while I'm preaching. I think I need to say it. My wife says, just skip over them, but I'm going to say it tonight. Every dictator, every nation that has tried to stamp out Christianity has closed churches and they've outlawed the Bible and everywhere they've done it, revival has spread. That's why a theologian that I was talking to, a well-known theologian I was talking to a few years ago, he said, in my personal opinion, he said, I believe the most helpful thing in America would be for us to go through a great time of persecution, and then people would begin to take their faith seriously again. So friends, I don't pray for that. I don't want to see us go through persecution, but I can see the historical evidence that wherever the church has been persecuted... It's had just the opposite effect. The church has grown. Thirdly, my relationship with God then presents four blessings in my life. It presents four blessings in my life. Now, I told the congregation a few weeks ago, I like to be blessed. You know, I don't make any apologies for that. If you, don't, if you want to be cursed and not blessed, that's your business. I like to be blessed. Anybody in here like me, you want to be blessed? Of course, you know, we want to be blessed. And, and uh, every once in a while, somebody will come up and say, well, I'm not really into this blessing thing. I am into this blessing thing big time. I want God's blessings upon my life and upon my children, upon our church and our community. I pray for it all the time. Let's look at verse 5 through 7. Lord, you alone are my inheritance, my cup of blessing. You guard all that is mine. The land you have given me is a pleasant land what a wonderful inheritance! I will bless the Lord who guides me, and even at night, my in heart, my heart, it instructs me or it guides me, it teaches me. What I want you to see here this evening is that what these blessings that David is praying about and thanking God for—they're real blessings, they're tangible blessings. It's not just the intangible things that we talk about when we sometimes talk about spiritual blessings. We're talking about the tangible things that he is speaking about. But I want to keep it in line with verse 10. Because the Apostle Paul said, and and we, we won't take time to read it. The Apostle Paul says two times in Philippians, in chapter 1, verse 21, and in chapter 3, verse 18, he two times refers to the fact that to be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord, and then to say that everything else in this life he considers as dung manure he considers his dung compared to the priceless treasure of knowing God so the first thing that I want you to see is God fills my cup of blessing and I think this is more than our daily portion of bread that Jesus taught us to pray for I think it's the fact that the whole psalm is about David's desire for God so I tell people once in a while you have as much of God as you want you realize that You have as much of God as you want. If you go after God, God will fill your cup. God will fill your heart. God will fill you to overflowing. Sometimes when people tell me they feel like they're dry, we'll sit down and I'll say, how's your prayer life? Are you spending time daily worshiping the Lord? Are you spending time in the word? And if they say yes to all those things, then I say, then maybe what God is allowing you to go through is a dry spell so that your roots will get deeper in the Lord. If you lay sod, you know that when you first lay sod, you water it every day. And then you go to every other day. And then the next week you go to maybe two times a week because what you're doing is you want the roots to go deep. If you lay the sod water it every day, the roots stay shallow right in the topsoil that the sod was planted with. When you go to every other day, then it begins to dry out in the hot sun and the roots start reaching out of the sod down into the soil or the clay as it happens to be here in Michigan or the sand at home. It starts to reach down. And then when you go to maybe once or twice a week and that hot sun's bearing on it, those roots just keep going deeper and deeper where the moisture is at. And sometimes the Lord allows us to go through those places and if we won't get discouraged but we'll continue in prayer, we'll continue in the word, we'll continue in daily worship and we'll continue gathering with the people of God, remember these are the ones that David says I take pleasure in, we will find our cup of blessing overflowing and the promise for you and me in this New Testament day is is that Jesus says I will never leave you nor forsake you and Paul uses this imagery, the cup of blessing, when he talks about the communion that we take every Sunday here. Look with me at 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 16. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? You have as much of God as you want tonight. So sometimes you might want to do what I do. When I realize that I'm hungry for more, I just say, Lord, enlarge my heart, Lord, enlarge my cup, enlarge my bread basket, because I want to know you better and better. Secondly, David says, God, you make my life secure. You make my life secure. If you drive through my subdivision, you'll see a lot of little signs, this house protected by, this house guarded by. Sometimes you'll even see some signs on the door of this house protected by a Rottweiler or something like that. You know If you drive past some cars, you'll see this car protected by a whatever 357 kind of gun. you know? Security is a big thing in our day. We have security on our devices. We have security on our computers. Uh, I was in a conversation last week uh, on how we can maintain security when it comes to churches. Uh so security is a big deal. But here's the point that I want you to get. There is no ultimate security. I was talking this summer with a man who works in internet security. That's what his whole company does. And so as I was talking to him, and he has a huge LinkedIn following, he's a prolific author as well, along this line. So I was talking to him, he says, We sell security services, but I tell all of my clients, there's no such thing as 100% secure. It's kind of like a man in our congregation in Georgia that owned a pest control company. And so I went out with him one day. I did not go into the houses. I don't do that in Georgia. There's too many snakes and spiders, but I remember we were talking because I wanted to see how they worked. And he said, if you'll notice, my company is called pest control, not pest elimination. You can never eliminate every pest. But I want you to know, you can be 100% secure in Christ tonight. You can be 100% secure. And the Lord will eliminate the powers of evil that hold you back and hold you down. And only God can make that promise. And even if this body dies or though I'm killed or anything else, this body is also going to rise one day. The third thing, well, let me read the verse of Scripture. Those who fear the Lord are secure, and He will be a refuge for their children. In the second service, I told a story on Sunday morning about how God was a refuge for my kids. Number three, God satisfies all my longing. God satisfies all my longing. When I was young... I'm going to make an honest confession here. When I was young, I used to say sometimes to the Lord in my prayers, I said, Lord, I'll be so glad when I get old and desires aren't so strong anymore. You know what I found out? Desire is still strong. There's still a lot of things that I I just, I have these drives for and I enjoy in life. But if you were to ask me, like my family asked me every single year, what do you want for your birthday? What do you want for Christmas? I don't want anything. I'm blessed. You know, I like surprises. Now, I got a surprise here Sunday morning uh, that was just so cool. And, uh, you know, I, I really, really liked it. As a matter of fact, I got another surprise. I got a bag of homemade cookies that were just incredibly delicious. I got another surprise this weekend, and I've sinned boldly eating coconut cream pie. My ministry is expanding. You know, my point that I want to make to you tonight is I have desires, but everything is satisfied. That's how God, good God is. God satisfies all my longings. Look at Psalms 107, verse 9. For he satisfies the longing soul, and the hungry soul he fills with good things. The desire of my soul, the passion of my heart, God is filled. But if you were to look into my life... God has filled my life with so many good things. Now, what that says to me, and I was singing this in my devotional time today, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. As you delight in God, God will shape your desires where you desire what he wants you to. I'm going to be honest with you. I don't desire the things that those who commit apostasy chase after. I don't desire the things that those that backslide and turn against the Lord. I don't have a passion for those things. I haven't for years because of my relationship with Jesus. Have I ever been tempted? Absolutely I've been tempted. But when I stop and I think about the temptation and the consequences of that temptation, what a fool I would be to give up what God has blessed me with for anything this world offers The fourth thing that God gives me is he gives me his counsel. And I'm so thankful for that. I don't know if any of you remember the Digital Equipment Corporation. But one of my members of my church in Georgia, her job required her to spend a million dollars every hour back in the 70s, in the 80s, when I was her pastor. A million dollars an hour. She had homes in San Francisco, Boston, and somewhere down in Florida, as well as in the town that we were pastoring in. She's still a very good friend. She and her husband are very good friends of ours. But I remember when they came to Christ. He was a salty old Marine, they were living together, and they both gave their hearts to Jesus. And I didn't know it, they weren't married. So one day I preached a message and he wasn't there. He was out of town. He wrote computer software and she came to me the service. She says, you mean we're not supposed to be sleeping together until we're married? I go, no, you're not supposed to be sleeping together. I, now these people came from a non-church background. So she called him up and says, you can't come back to the house until we get married. Well, that week, this beautiful sports car come into the parking lot and I saw him get out and he got out with a look of determination. I thought, oh no. And he knocked on my door and I welcomed him in and he looked at me and he says, you're the first man that's ever come between me and my sex life. And then he just grabbed me and started crying. He said, and I'm so glad you did. He said, pastor, I didn't know we were sinning. And we prayed and God did wonderful things in their lives. Here's what I want you to know. God's counsel is good counsel. You can build a life on that counsel. These people had everything, materially speaking, that the world could offer. Their home in Atlanta was bigger than our sanctuary. It was huge. Their master bedroom that Becky and I had used when we would be in Atlanta and they'd be out of town was bigger than this whole foyer area. They had everything, but they were miserable until they found Jesus Christ. You need to trust the counsel that you read in your Bible. You need to trust God's word. If you need wisdom, look at James 1.5. If you need wisdom, ask our generous God and he will give it to you and he will not rebuke you for asking. Can I be honest with you? When we do our 40 days fast here every year, I will get before the Lord and say, God, I want you to search my heart. I really... I, I I don't want anything between my soul and the Savior. I don't. And I've never found the Lord to criticize, to be harsh, to be judgmental. But as He gently and lovingly probes my heart, there's this sense Dennis, I love you so much. I don't want this to destroy you, weaken you, hurt you. You see, God is the best counselor there is. He's not that harsh, hellfire, damnation, spitting and blinking preacher that you've seen on television. He is a father that is gentle with his children. And if we'll open up to him, he will not rebuke you for asking. So here's what I'd like you to do. I'd like you to review and reaffirm your commitment to God, your covenant to God. David goes on in verse 8 and he says, I know the Lord is always with me and I will not be shaken, for he is right beside me. And then one final thing, and we're going to close tonight. My relationship with God through Christ conquers death. No wonder my heart is glad and I rejoice. My body rests in safety, for you will not leave my soul among the dead or allow your Holy One to rot in the grave. You will show me the way of life. Grant to me the joy of your presence and the pleasures of living with you forever. Friends, I give you several verses of Scripture that you can look at there later at your leisure. But understand this, though, this, though I may die one day, you may die one day. And unless Jesus tarries, we all will. We're going to rise. We're going to rise. There's going to be a trumpet that sounds, and the dead in Christ are going to rise first, and those which are alive and remain will be caught up in the air to meet with them. R.A. Torrey was a great preacher in the early 1900s. He wrote a little story in a sermon, and as far as I've been able to determine, it was just a little story that he wrote, but it illustrates so well. And I've included it in your outline so you can read it, but I want you to just follow along with me tonight because I think this is such an important way to close this message. And I, you know, it'll be up on the screen, but follow along with me. A guide, a tourist, a second guide, and a second tourist were all roped together. As they went over a particularly difficult place, the second tourist lost his footing and went over the side. The sudden pull of the rope carried the second guide with him and carried the other tourist along also. Three men were now dangling over the cliff, but the guide who was in the lead, filling the first pull upon the rope, drove his axe into the ice, braced himself, and held fast. The first tourist then regained his footing, the guide regained his, and the second tourist followed, and they went on in safety. Can you see where he's going? So it is in this life... As the human race ascended the lofty cliffs of life, the first Adam lost his footing and tumbled headlong over the abyss. He pulled the next man after him, and the next, and the next, until the whole human race hung in deadly peril. But the second Adam, the Lord Jesus Christ, kept his footing. He stood fast, and thus all, all who are united to him by living faith are secure and regain the path. I love the writings of Ari When I read that and I thought about the guy driving that ice, that pick and that stake into the ice to secure, I thought about our Savior being nailed to the cross. I thought about our Savior being buried and rising again on the third day. Beloved, I want you to know something. We are secure. We are blessed. We have God's counsel. We are on our way to heaven tonight because... Jesus' body could not be contained by the grave. On the third day, God raised him again. And I pray as we get ready for Christmas, we will never forget that Christ was born to die for our sins. God bless you. I hope you enjoyed this tonight. Let me pray with you before we go. Father, we love you and we thank you. We don't need a little bit of Christmas, Lord. We need the fullness of Christmas to dawn upon our souls as we get ready to celebrate this year. May we not just be called up in tinsel and garland, though that's fun. May we not just be called up in parties, Lord, though that's fun. But may we, Lord, worship the Savior, who though he was crucified, died, and was buried, on the third day he did rise again, and thus bless us with eternal life. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen, amen, and amen. God bless you. Thanks so much for watching tonight.